Welcome to another edition of Inspired Stories, where leaders share their experiences so we can learn from their successes, how they've overcome adversity, and explore current challenges they're facing. Welcome to another edition of the Inspired Stories podcast, where leaders share their experiences so we can learn from their successes, how they've overcome adversity, and explore current challenges they're facing. My name is Anthony Cotispodi, and today's guest is Mike Whaling, founder and president of 30 Lines. They are a digital marketing agency that takes a holistic approach to online marketing and brand presence. While they've helped a whole variety of companies, including the Bob Evans Restaurant Group, their specialty is in the area of property management, where they have built a suite of tech tools. He's also on the board for the housing and shelter for Central Ohio for YMCA, which is something he's very passionate about. And I look forward to digging more into that. But before we get to the good stuff, today's episode is brought to you by my company, Adback Benefits Agency, where we offer very specific and unique employee benefits that are both great for your team and fiscally optimized for your bottom line. One recent client was able to save over $900 per employee per year by implementing one of our proprietary programs. Another client is going to save over $1,200 per employee per year by implementing a patented construct that we offer. Results vary for each company and some organizations may not be eligible. To find out if your company qualifies, contact us today at adbackbenefitsagency.com. Now back to our guest today, the founder of 30 Lines, Mike. I appreciate you making the time to share your story today. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. So tell us in simple language, what does 30 Lines do and what was the original inspiration behind it? Uh, my my dad used to say I, I, he 30 Lines manipulates the Internet. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I would go that far, but that's kind of the idea. Right. So 30 Lines is a, is a digital marketing studio. Um, we were our core and our foundation is around content marketing and everything that you need to build a holistic online presence. Our goal is, you know, no matter where somebody is looking, we want them to find the message that you want them to see about your business, whether that's from you or from your customers, probably better from your customers. But we, and we really look at how do you create the content that people are looking for today? How do you be the best answer to their questions? And, and how do you build a presence that is, um, you know, your online storefront in, in the best way possible? So what would be a, a good first step that you would take with a new client in terms of trying to determine what is the content that people are looking for in their particular niche? Talk to their sales team, talk to their support team. Um, you know, really, you already know the questions that people ask the most. Um, if you don't, the people on the front lines do. You know, for we do a lot of work with apartments and the folks that know the answers, know what people are asking about are the leasing agents that are handling the questions, the maintenance guys that are out on out on site and in people's homes, um, you know, helping them, you know, get things fixed. Those are the folks that are on the front lines and really understand what people are looking for and how they're actually, you know, how they put things in their own language. And I think that that really applies to, to any business. Um, you know, if you're just getting started, I would just pay attention to what people are talking about in your industry, whether that's going to conferences or, um, paying attention to online communities or forums or those kinds of things, um, other podcasts like this, it's really it's it's not too difficult to hone in on what people are focused on right now. Um, and then you, you know, and, and I'm not necessarily talking about just the latest buzzwords. It's more what are the deep things that people are really really asking about, 
and and want to get to so that they can really understand how to run their business better, how to make better decisions for for themselves or for their family or whatever that whatever it is they're looking to do. You know, as a tech company, I kind of expected your first answer to be something like, oh, we use Google Trends or, you know, different <clears> keyword <throat> tools to find that. And I'm going to guess that's part of your arsenal as well. But it was fascinating that the first thing that you came up with was kind of old school offline talk to the people who are out there, you know, bumping into customers every day. It's, um, I mean, it really is. It's it, it, Things haven't changed much. It's just kind of the places where those conversations are happening. But, um, but yeah, I mean, all of those tools are available and they make sense, but you want to get to what is it that your people are hearing and how do you, you know, how do you put it in your customer's language as easy as possible? You know, there are a lot of great marketing agencies out there. I even had the privilege to interview some for this show. But what I think is really interesting about what your company does is the suite of software tools that you've built. Tell me more about that and how it separates you from your competitors. Yeah, uh, so we, we, we do a lot of business with the property management industry and multifamily, multifamily real estate, multifamily housing, commercial real estate. Um, we, that industry is, you know, like many others, they have their own set of software solutions that are industry specific. They call it property management software and there's all kinds of different flavors of that and, and different things that it needs to do. Um, what we have seen is that those tools are really good at helping people run their property. They're not necessarily the best tools out there for modern digital marketing or modern marketing period. And so as we were growing our agency, you know, we've had that we have the agency side of the business. We've identified, hey, this is what we want to be able to do as a marketing agency. And those tools weren't available. So we went out and we, we basically are, we're essentially building the bridge between property management software and the tools that our clients use every day and the tools that we want to use like website platforms and local listings and ad online advertising platforms and email marketing and those, those kinds of things. That's what we know works. And we needed the tools to make it work for us. And so we're building some of them. So you're sort of like a super fancy customized version of like a Zapier where you're getting one platform to talk to another. Um, yeah, in a lot of ways, right? And we're, but we're trying to add some insights and recommendations and, and um, add our own layer of thought on top of it, right? So we don't just want to move the data, we want to help our customers understand what's happening and where do we think that their money is best invested um, when, they're, when they're implementing their marketing plan. Um, you know, when we look at the numbers for us, you know, another industry that's really similar to apartments is, is like the, the, auto, the auto industry and auto dealers. People want to see the apartment that they want to live in. People want to drive the car, they want to test drive the car that they're going to drive off the lot. And so that typically means that you're not making a sale online. You know, certainly people can lease an apartment online. They can buy a car through Carvana. That those are there, but most people today still want to take that test drive or they still want to come see the apartment. And so what we see is that it's a very different environment from like an e-commerce, right? Which, um, you know, you, you don't have that instant gratification of, hey, people clicked my ad, they came to the website and they bought and I can see the purchase. There's a whole set of nurturing that has to happen. We've got a lead. Now we need to talk them through. We need to show them what we have to offer. We need to find the right solution. And then we need to get them to an application or sit down for financing or whatever that looks like. And what we see is you end up with this whole big 
you know, marketing machine. And there are certain certain touch points there, certain places where if you optimize those and really take care of the customers that are right in front of you, um, you're, it's going to be a far more efficient system and you're not going to need to spend as much to acquire the next lead. Do you find that in your environment, it's more difficult to um, tie attribution to the <laughs> final transaction than it would be for e-commerce? You're, you're laughing. Yeah. Is that uh, <laughs> the pain of your existence? I, I, call, I, I call attribution kind of a pipe dream, right? Like, um, you know, there's a there's a hundred year old quote about, you know, I, half my advertising works and the other half, the other half doesn't. The problem is I don't know which half. Um, I think that we have a little more detail than that today. Um, but the idea of attribution is is really um, it's it's kind of a fool's errand in my mind. And I don't like, you know, I know that there's plenty of tools out there and there's a lot that we can gain from looking at how people buy and how they behave. But if if I if I ask somebody, hey, how did you hear about 30 lines? The best answer that someone could give is, geez, everybody knows you guys. Everybody knows you. And I hear about you every time I talk to a peer, they say you got to talk to 30 lines. And, you know, that's the best answer. But who do I attribute that to? Right. Um, and it's the same kind of thing with with uh, with apartments, with, you know, anything where there's a pretty significant buying journey. Um, you know, I'm sure with you, there's a lot of touch points when you're talking with another business of all the different people you have to talk to and the different ways you have to get in front of them. And, you know, lots of different avenues for you to create content like a podcast like this. And it's hard to say which one of those really is the one that got someone over the hump to make the decision. So we kind of look at it as what can the software tell us? What can, you know, tools like trends and Google analytics and, um, advertising and those kinds of things. But then we also ask, you know, hey, how did you hear about us? And the really interesting thing is that what is in your CRM system that the software says is where the lead came from is often, more often than not, completely different from what the customer tells you if you just ask them and leave them, you know, make it an open-ended question. Um, and, you know, we see this all the time. I get leads coming in through our website and our website says the lead came from Google and the and the, the, the prospect says, I heard about you at a conference or I heard you on a podcast or I found you on ChatGPT. Um, all of those are, are things. And it's like, who do I give the credit to? Kind of all of the above. Um, but that's, I'm much more interested in understanding how people behave and where people go to get their answers than I am to say, hey, this one specific source is the source that made that sale. How does that come into play as you're trying to justify to your clients that, hey, you should renew your service because we're generating so much in sales for you. We've sent so many leads to you. Doesn't that come into play and in them sort of having to justify internally that you're, you're a worthwhile expense? Absolutely. And that's that's one of the things that we hammer home with our team all the time is make sure that customers see the value and can communicate the value to their team. Because, um, you know, marketing is um, a lot of art and a lot of science and a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate the art side. They, they, they want it to be all science. Um, but what we see is because we take that holistic view that you mentioned and because we look at, you know, are we helping in, in B2B marketing, people will call it like sales enablement. Are we, 
Are we helping people with their nurturing emails? Are we are we helping with follow up? What are the things that we're doing to help salespeople create more appointments and close more deals? If we can see those numbers and we have a benchmark, and then we can say, hey, after we implemented our solutions, here's how much better we are than your benchmark. I can start to show that not only are we generating more leads, but we are turning more of those leads into sales. And that's really what we try to do in any business is get to, I want to get as close to the money as possible because that's that's what talks, right? So if I can get to how many leads do we generate? What's the what's your cost per lead or how many you know, tours or how many appointments or how many calls did we generate? And then after that, you know, for apartments, that's if somebody toured, can I get those tours to then fill out an application to rent in the building? Um, you know, in the restaurant, it's a little bit different. The restaurant, you know, we have a little more, we can send an email and we see that people click on that. We see that they redeem the coupon in the store. Our goal there is, you know, understanding that customer, you know, our client, their goal is get that person back in the store one more time this month or three more times this year, whatever those metrics are. So a lot of what we do is really take some time to understand our customers' goals and what are the metrics that they care about and how do we make sure that what we're putting together aligns with where they're trying to go so that when we come back in six months or 12 months and sit and have that review to go, hey, how are we doing? Let's renew. It's a much easier conversation because we have the benchmarks. We know where they started. We're all on the same page about what success looks like. And then we can have a have a same page conversation um, that, that makes it a lot easier. So rather than trying to show that, hey, this Google ad campaign is what drove sales for you guys, it's more of, hey, here were the benchmarks that we had before we started working with you. Occupancy rates were here. I don't know, click-throughs were here, conversions were here, applications were here. And now look, all of those benchmarks are are trending upwards. That That's the conversation. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the apartment industry is a fascinating one, just a, so many nuances, but it's it's one of the only industries that I know of where like there's not more widgets to be made, right? It's not like once I figure out my return on my advertising, I can just crank crank up that formula and just crank out more widgets and and push more ads it's you know for any given apartment building there's 100 200 300 people in the world that are that can only be a customer at any one time so once you're full you're you're done right um especially right now because housing supply is you know um we're building more apartments right now you know right now in in this very moment but we are behind in terms of of housing supply so um it's a it's a really interesting industry to do marketing for because it's not necessarily um, how do I get to that formula of maximizing my 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 ROAS or my my ROI. It's really more how do I create the most cost effective machine to lease these 200, 300 apartments. And once I find that, then we just start getting more and more efficient and look at you know I love when I can go to a client and say hey we're on track we're trending ahead of pace. I don't think we need to spend as much on Google ads as we originally budgeted. Here's some money back. That's that's one of my favorite conversations to have. That's an unusual conversation for a marketing agency to initiate in my experience. <laughs> yeah, it's one that sets us apart. Did I hear you say that you've had folks find you using chat GPT? We have actually, I, I did have somebody 
in our contact form. They said, I found you on GPT and I checked your website and it checked out. So we want to talk. So I, I want to know what that looked like. They were typing some sort of a query into ChatGPT and ChatGPT came back with your company as the recommendation. Here's, here's the thing. You go back to your question about attribution. I'm never going to be able to directly attribute that to GPT other than the fact that some somebody put it in a form and typed it in um, because I don't get any tracking. And there is nothing from Google that says, you know, most of the time ChatGPT doesn't even give you a link to the website. It's just spitting out words. Um, so there's not a direct link from ChatGPT into your website so that your website can track it and see, right? Um, there's actually a whole little kind of cottage. I mean, it's more than a cottage industry at this point, but it's, you know, changing things for Google and manipulating your website or adding content or whatever you want to call it for search engines and search engine optimization. Um, there's kind of a new budding segment of that called uh, called answer engine optimization. Because that's what these chat engine, you know, that's what GPT and Bard and and uh, Claude, all these systems are. They are, you type in a chat and it gives you the answer or it gives you a set of words that it thinks is the answer. So it becomes really difficult to track directly, but we have that anecdotal evidence and, you know, we're looking at what are the things that people are typing into some of these engines? What are the questions that they're asking? And how do we create content that can be the best answer that then gets crawled at some point, not only for Google, but also for chat GPT and other systems like that. Is there some sort of a tool that shows you what kind of queries are being generated inside of the, these large language models? Uh, not, not directly yet. I mean, there are certainly like um, there are tools out there like answer the public that will tell you what kind of questions people are in, asking. Um, there are some keyword tools where you can really get specific around questions, um, how to, and how do I get to, or, you know, um, what are, what are, what are the best blank for me? There's lots of those kinds of things out there that you can, that, that you can, um, you can pull those tools from Google and from other, other sources like that. And then you can kind of guess that people are having similar conversations, um, in other, in other platforms. Do you did you talk with that one lead? Do you have any idea what it was they typed into Chat GPT that led to you? Um, I did talk with them. I we didn't get specifically into what their exact query was, but but um, but yeah, it's I mean it's fun to see. It's it's definitely it's definitely fun to see that that people are, uh, you know, people are always going to be looking for answers to their questions. It's part of the shopping journey behavior whatever you want to call it it's it's fun to watch how that behavior changes in terms of where people go to get their answers as we think about the property management <laughs> part of the business that you guys service um who's your ideal client is it is it somebody really small do you need to have a certain number of units to make sense to use your services um I, my ideal client is somebody who is sophisticated enough to to appreciate digital marketing and some of the things that we're able to do with it um, but also not necessarily big enough that they have their own team to execute it on their own. So, you know, sometimes that's somebody who has, um, 1500 units, which is a pretty, you know, it's a good size portfolio, but in the, in the, in, in kind of the institutional side of the business, it's pretty small. Um, our, our 
bread and butter clients are probably in the 3,000 to 10, 15,000 unit portfolios, um, which, you know, that's, that's typically anywhere from 20 properties to 80 or 100. And, you know, a lot of times they'll have um, multiple ownership groups. Um, you know, ideally, the folks that we have are somewhat connected to the ownership because um, it's, it's, actually, it's honestly easier for me to talk money with the owners than it is with a third party fee manager. There's just there's some different incentives there. Um, but like I said, a good customer for us is someone who understands where the market's going, wants to be a little ahead of the game, you know, at least a little ahead of the game. They want they want to be ahead of the game. They don't want to just use, you know, off the shelf templates, um, but they they know they can't do it all themselves. And what separates you then from a competitor? Say I'm a property management company that's in that sort of sweet spot. And I'm shopping around, I'm talking to different providers and 30 lines, one that I'm looking at. Why am I ultimately deciding to go with you guys? I'm not really beholden to anyone, anyone channel, anyone platform. Um, we've, we've purposely built our, our system to be independent. Um, and so, you know, we can take in data from a lot of different systems. We can connect with multiple different CRMs. Um, it doesn't bother me if you say, hey, I already have a chat bot that we need to put on our website. I don't need yours. That's fine because I have plenty of other things that I can sell that that client besides a chat bot. Um, like I told you before, we we love those scenarios where we can cut back um, on, on things like advertising because we know that that means that our other services are doing what they're supposed to do. And most of the time, our other services are actually more profitable for us anyways. So um, you know, the fact that we have that really deep knowledge of how people shop, you know, we've got over a decade of research at this point of how people shop and how those behaviors are changing. Um, and that's not just from us, that's from 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 third parties. Um, and we're able to take that and, and turn it into marketing campaigns that that really make sense for the customer. You know, our goal in my head, somebody hires me, you know, I'm doing business with with another business, B2B. But really, the way that things are going to work the best is if we do the best thing for their customer, their shopper. Because if it's easier for their shopper to do business with my client, then my client wins and we end up being the, the sidekick to their hero story. Tell me more about your commitment to affordable housing and the time you've spent with this uh, YMCA board. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's come from working in the housing industry and understanding some of the things, some of the some of the misconceptions about the housing industry and um, seeing it from both sides. You know, I've had the opportunity to work with some of the biggest management companies in the country and, and, and what they do. And I, I, I love seeing the parts about housing of like using it as a vehicle to create wealth for your family. Um, but at the other, the other end of the stick there, you know, we don't have enough housing in this country. We're behind. And in a lot of places, we're making it harder for developers and real estate operators and, and landlords, we're making it harder for them to do business. Um, and some of that is, you know, legislative, some of that's insurance, some of that is, you know, utilities, 
Um, there's just a lot of different things that are pressing on this, but what what's happening is it's making it more difficult for us to develop housing when we need it most. We're, you know, a decade behind in a lot of areas. If you look at here in central Ohio, you know, we, last I saw, we are somewhere, if you look at the numbers of housing that we need in 2050, 70% of that housing doesn't exist yet. And we're we're not necessarily incentivizing more development, you know, and like I said, some of it's legislative, some of it is um, other expenses, some of it is, you know, the not in my backyard, the, the NIMBY crowd that says, you know, no, no new growth, I, I like things the way that they were. Um, and that's just not realistic, right? And what what ends up happening is all of that trickles down. If you look, you know, across the history of this country, all of that, you look at redlining and some of the things of, you know, some of the racial racial legislation that have really held people back from having the opportunity to to live in the neighborhoods they want to live in or or buy homes. There's a lot of work that has to be done, and you know, um, um, I've had the privilege to work on a board that's we are one of the largest providers of affordable housing in Columbus in in the Central Ohio area, and um, there's a lot more to do. So what you know, exactly see, gets done there when you say that you're one of the largest providers? Does that mean like you own some Section 8 housing or what, what's it look like? We are. I mean, we're we're developing properties now. We've 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 successfully opened a few buildings and we're, we're, we're helping people out. We um, are helping with supportive services at, at some of the community shelters. Um, we're very involved in a lot of the supportive services that go around um, transitional housing. You know, what we found is that having a roof over your head makes a huge difference if you're trying to find a job or just trying to get back on your feet. Um, but that's not the only thing. Like there's, you can't just put somebody into a kind of a traditional apartment building with no support and no help and no services and expect them to succeed, especially in a place like Columbus where, you know, we don't have any mass transit. You have to take the bus to get over to whatever agency you have to get to, to make sure that you, continue to keep your benefits so that your your kids can go to school and you can get fed and those kinds of things. Um, we don't make it easy on these people. And so, you know, we really look at what are not only what are the steps that we have to do to provide housing for people and transition them into sustainable long-term housing, but what are the services that we need to provide along the way to help them make sure that they can build a life. That's great. You know, Mike, most business leaders I met have at least one story where they overcame a big challenge, something that looked like it was going to wipe them out. Maybe it was a lawsuit or a fire or a big accounting mistake, some something that almost did them in. You have any stories like that to share? Um, you know, I I don't have anything that scary, but you know, we've definitely I, I've had a few times along the way where, you know, I wasn't quite sure if we were going to make payroll, um, that kind of thing. And we were looking for what are the things that we need to do to to really keep this thing afloat. I think the probably the biggest one that hit me was we really took on two huge initiatives at, at once, kind of, but we were doing, company was doing really well. This was about 2017-ish. 
company was doing great. We had some money in the bank. And, um, you know, I, I pulled the trigger on two big initiatives at the same time. Um, and for a bootstrap company, that can kill you. And it almost did. Um, you know, we just, if it was one of those things where uh, we just didn't keep our focus on, on we didn't we didn't have focus we, we we went in two different directions and invested in two different in two different places and um it really it, it it really slowed us down a lot more than if we had just picked one of those and went all in on that one thing so um but we made it through uh we made it through covid you know we i that one was a big one for us we shut down the office so it was flying home from spring break and uh, got the news that the NBA had shut down their league. And, uh, you know, I sent a message to the team just to say, Hey, you know, we're not going to the office for, for the foreseeable future. And it uh, turns out we haven't been back since uh, we shut down the office and, and have been fully remote ever since. But um, I, I, you know, I, we've, like I said, we, we bootstrap, I, I bootstrapped this. We've, We've built the whole thing without taking on any kind of any outside money. And um, when you do that, you got to stay focused. You got to make sure that you you keep your eye on the ball and kind of really do one thing well before you jump to the next one. Do you feel like you've fully embraced that lesson or is that a mistake that you've repeated? Uh, because what you're describing is really common for business owners. You have all these ideas out there and you want to go after them all at the same time. It's, it's tough to rein yourself in. It really is. It really is. And, you know, I, I I imagine you probably feel the same way, right? Like where other people see challenges, I see opportunities and my, I, it takes a, a lot of, of restraint and filtering to hold back and go, Hey, we want to go after this. Um, you know, I have a long list of roadmap. What are the things that we want to get to, right? Um, and I just kind of look at it as job security, but but yeah, it takes a lot of restraint. And um, you know, it is one of those things where uh, I have a I have an operations manager on the company, and one of their main jobs is to be my filter, to take this stuff in, and then make sure that you know we're prioritizing the right things. Hey, here's all of Mike's ideas. Here are the things that our customers are asking for. Here are the other things that are that the rest of our team wants to do because they have awesome ideas too. How do we then order those and prioritize them and and create a plan of attack? But you know, I think that's the beautiful thing about being an entrepreneur and being being in business for yourself is that there's opportunities everywhere. And as technology expands, as as things evolve, that's not stopping anytime soon. Lots of ways to make money right now. Coming out of COVID, you guys, like everybody else, you shut down the office. And it's interesting to hear you guys haven't gone back. How has that transition worked out? Do you think you're full-time remote now? Like this is how it is? Yeah, I mean, we've gone, from, we've gone from 90% of our employees were within 20 miles of Columbus, Ohio, to we're now in 10 states and two countries. Um. And it's a very different way to run a business. Um, I haven't decided which one's better yet. I think that most people enjoy the the freedom and the flexibility um, of being able to work from home. But you know, we've we definitely have to force some commu communication where we didn't have to before. 
Um, we do a, a team retreat at least once a year where we get everybody together and, you know, we spend a couple of days and most, most of those, most of that time is really just fun. It's just getting to know each other. You, when you're fully remote, you don't have that opportunity to go grab lunch with somebody or go out for a drink after, after work. So you have to create those opportunities for people. Um, being fully remote, you don't have those water cooler moments. You don't have that like, hey, you got a minute so that I can run this by you before I put it in front of the boss. So you have to, you have to be much more communicative. I think, I think being fully remote is, you know, the communication requirements are probably 30% greater of how you have to change checkpoints and milestones for your projects. Let's, let's make sure that we're on the right track. Um, if you don't have those, it's really easy. It's, uh, you know, it's very it's harder to tap somebody on the shoulder in Slack or in Teams and say, hey, can I borrow you for a minute? People want to put their head down and get deep work done, and we try and create an environment for that. Um, but at the same time, we, we have to force those issues where people communicate and, col and collaborate. How do you do that? What's something you've tried that's actually worked? So, so one thing is we, we've kind of built our schedule around um, – creating those environments in both ways. Um, we did not, we just, we looked at doing a four day work week and we decided against it. Um, we've, we got some feedback from our clients that just said, Hey, we work five days a week and we expect our partners to as well. Um, and we took that really seriously, but we also want to offer some flexibility to our team. So we said Mondays and Fridays, I want 40% of your time. I want that to be deep focused work. So we, do not allow internal meetings on Mondays and Fridays. If you have to meet with a client, that's fine. If you have to take a call, understood. But no internal meetings on Mondays and Fridays. Those are your days to put your head down and get work done. And, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are the days where we meet with each other, we collaborate, we create some of those times to, to check, check in with each other and, and uh, you know, uh, foster that communication that you need are there the any other thing that we're doing oh, go ahead. Uh, i was gonna say the other thing that we're doing that, that I, I wish we probably did more is we're doing a lot more with audio messages and video messages there's a lot that you can get done if you can just record a message really quickly or a loom video or something like that and just go hey here's what i'm seeing or here's what i'm thinking take a look at it let me know what you think there's so much that you can uh get done through through audio and through video that you can't do in chat mm -hmm. love loom uh been using it for years it's a great tool any other um little tools like that that you guys use that uh, pretty critical to your success um i mean you mentioned zapier we we do use zapier quite a bit to you know one of our company values is connect the dots we we really think that there's a lot of value in understanding how things work together and the impact that it has on other systems. Um, but we, we love looking for, Hey, once we have a checklist, once we have a template for a project, how do we find the things that we can automate? How do we, how do we find the things that we can connect? And, um, you know, Zapier is a great tool for that. Um, another one that's a little more recent for me that I really like is a tool called Sunsama. And uh, Sunsama is, it connects your email and your project management system. So for me, we use Asana. 
And, you know, if we have tasks in Asana, I don't necessarily see those tasks in my calendar. But what Sansama does is it takes all of your, it takes your, your email and it takes your project management and it takes some other systems. And it says, here's the work you have to get done. We're going to put it all on your account. We're going to pull it from multiple systems and put it all in your calendar. And we're going to force you to prioritize and make time to get all of this stuff done. Um, so it's been, it's been a, a really nice tool for me because um, whether it's in Slack or in our project management system or an email, I can organize all of those things and pull them together and go, okay, here are the things that I need to do. Where am I going to find time to do this? And it helps me do that. And based on the name Sansana, I'm going to guess it connects specifically with Asana and probably not other project oh, management. Oh, uh, Sansama, S-U-N-S-A-M-A. Okay. So, so and I think it does. Not it, it works with some other to systems too. No, it's definitely not. Definitely I'll have to not. Check that out. Yeah. Mike, what's something you wish you could teach the 20-year-old version of yourself? Something that's pretty clear to you now that you wish had been a little bit earlier in life? Um, you know, I think probably two different things. One is you it's okay to not know what you want to be when you grow up. Uh, you know, I at 20, uh, very few of us actually know. But I think that that's fine and it's it's okay to try things and and discover what you don't like, because I think that that's a really easy way to to find, you know, uh, roll things out and get to what you do like. Um, but the other side of that is I think that it's. Um, I would say swing bigger. Swing bigger, like we're all going to it takes the same amount of time to work on a. I've I've heard this from our client from some of our clients. It takes the same amount of time to work on a small deal as it does to work on a hundred million dollar deal. <clears throat> so swing bigger and and go after bigger deals, go after bigger clients, try bigger things, especially when you're 20, right? Like when you're 20 years old, you there's there's hardly any risk. You could fall on your face and fail miserably and and walk go out and get another job somewhere else. And you're you learned a ton you know, worst case. And if everything works out, then you're way ahead of everybody else who's still in college for the next few years. So when you're shopping for hats, it's just as important to find out which ones don't fit as it is to yeah. find out which ones do. Um, yep. yep. Same, same kind of thing in, in real life. Mike, what's a challenge that you're currently working through in your business? Um, and maybe something that you're not even successfully working through quite yet oh <laughs> uh, man i am uh, I'm, I'm one of those people like I, I i think i always have more to do right like everything feels like a challenge to be to be to be tackled um i so uh, there's there's a number of them one that comes to mind is we i'm really looking for better ways to to build a company culture and you know we some some of the things we talked about before remote we we do a lot to share our pets and share our favorite meals and we're not afraid to have our kids jump on a zoom call and and those kinds of things and you know we're looking for what are the ways that we can build some of that that culture 
um, in a remote in a, in a remote environment. And a big part of that is making sure that we are celebrating all the wins, big and small. Um, and so it's a very concerted effort. And that's one of those things you have to be very intentional about to understand what people are working on. What are they happy with? What are the things that they feel good about? And how do we make sure that we identify those and, you know, and, and when appropriate, celebrate it with everybody else so that people can see what their teammates do and what they're working on and what they're good at and what they're passionate about um, and and what they can go to them for if they have a question about something down the road. Um, but that's something that we are trying to navigate, trying to figure out. And, you know, we've, we've done okay, but I think there's a lot more that we can do there. Um, and then, you know, I think the other piece of it for us is, is, is really um, trying to identify where new technology fits in. You know, we did, we, we actually, uh, we wrote a book last year about ChatGPT and AI and how how our clients can use it. And, um, you know, I know that there's more opportunities for us to incorporate that into how we're working so that we can work smarter and not harder. Um, but it's one of those things where it takes some time to work through that stuff and and incorporate it and make people feel comfortable with it and, and give them some understanding of how they can use the technology to to make their jobs and make their lives a little bit easier. So I think those are two of the big ones that we're working on right now. Are you guys currently hiring? We are. What positions are you looking to fill? Um, client services. So account managers. Um, we are looking for some folks in data analysis and reporting. Um, we're looking for a, um, we're looking for, we're actually looking for an email marketing expert. Um, we like a product specialist for email marketing. That's been a big one for us. Um, and then probably by the end of the year, we'll be looking for a couple more engineers. Right. Where do you see AI and chat GPT going specifically in your industry? How, how can you leverage that? Uh, a lot of different ways. So we see AI as kind of a, a spice rack. It's, you know, there's not like one AI that you just that you just go, hey, we're going to plug this in and it's going to solve all our problems. It's really what are the things that are tedious, repetitive tasks or what are the things that would take a human a, a long time to do? And how can we then apply some intelligence to that and and make it better? So the places where, where we're using it, the places where our clients are using it um, are on a lot of marketing automation a lot of you know things like hey you want to schedule a tour to come see an apartment building we can have some ai go back and forth with that person over email or over text message and figure out a way to schedule a time for them to come in um another big one for us is data analysis um we do a lot of competitor analysis and, and you know we'll we'll pull data from Google reviews, and then we'll go out and we'll look at their top 10 competitors and we'll, we'll compare, here's all of your reviews, here are your competitor reviews, here are the things, you know, based on the negative reviews, here are the things that you need to go improve, here's where you need to train your team based on your competitors' reviews, here are the opportunities, here are the gaps, here are the things that we're going to shift around in your marketing so that you, you know, can attack their weaknesses. So, you know, those are two fairly simple examples of where we're applying it and, and there's a lot more.
if I recall correctly, you've actually presented on this very topic at some large industry uh, conferences. Is that right? I have, yes. Yeah. And what specifically have you shared there? Um, uh, it's very similar to what, we, what similar. I just mentioned. You know, it's it's kind of really understanding. It's with with our clients, we work with smaller marketing shops. And in a lot of cases, you know, bandwidth is, is an issue and resources are an issue. But when you can take that and say, rather than have one campaign, if I can say, all right, who are my top five audiences? Okay, now create marketing campaigns for each one of those audiences and create Google headlines, create email subjects, create social media calendars. Now I can start to create all of that content and things that used to take us, you know, hours, if not days to, to put together, we can have done in, in, you know, 30 minutes to an hour and have that, have that ready to go. Mike, I just one more question for you, but uh, before I ask it, I want to point people to your website so they know how to get in touch with you, whether it's a client that may want to work with you or an employee looking for a new career opportunity. Uh, so best place for them to go is 30lines.com, 30lines.com. Is that the best place? Yeah, 30lines.com. 30 if you want to reach out to me directly, um, I'm most active on LinkedIn. Right. Okay, last question, Mike. Aside from AI and ChatGPT, where do you see the property management industry evolving in the next five to 10 years? Um, man, that's a, such a great question. Um, I, I, I think there's going to be more emphasis on brand I, because once you start to identify opportunities to centralize, to plug in some technology, to um, you know, here's one thing that I'll say, if you look at the market conditions right now with interest rates, where they are and where with investors, where they are, there's a lot of call it dry powder out there of people ready to buy and people who are excited to build, um, given the right opportunities. So I think we're going to see some growth. You know, there's, we've had record apartment growth over the past couple of years. It's going to taper down a little bit, but I think that's going to come back then in 2027-ish. 20, um, but as we do that, you're going to see more opportunities for apartments to look more like hotels. You're going to see brands pop up. You're going to see some, some loyalty programs pop up. Um, and you're going to see more, not necessarily like resort-style living, but I think you're going to see more, um, hey, if you if you know our brand here, we also have five other locations around town that you might want to check out if you need to move across town or if you need to move to Chicago or whatever. Um, I think we're going to start to see some more of that. And that's something that the apartment industry has never seen, you know, hotels are hotels and airlines and travel are much more consolidated. Whereas the apartment industry and housing is, is far more fragmented. Um, but I think that we're going to see a shift in, in that over the next five to 10 years. Great. Thank you, Mike. That's a wrap on Thank another you. episode of the Inspired Stories podcast. Thanks for learning with me today. 